0: My friends, how is everyone doing? It is Tuesday, February 27th. This is Cafe Bitcoin, and we are currently rocketing up past 57K again. I take full responsibility for that pump, and so should you, my friends. We've made it. Stefan Vera is joining us. We've got an incredible set of guests today. I'm extremely inside, excited. Excuse me. Stefan, let's start with you. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Testing, testing one, two, three.
1: Speechless. That's the best that response. Happen. He's he's doing his push-ups. P.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll come back around.
2: Uh, hey guys, uh, I couldn't hear before, but uh, hope hope's all gone alright. I um might be having that glitch where I can't hear everyone.
0: <laughs> oh no! Can you hear me now?
1: Hey uh, Ste- Stefan, maybe uh, drop and come back because it sounds like you yeah. can't hear P. Yep. that's yep, called yep. that's called the fifty-seven. Uh, okay. Glass. Yeah, I'll drop and come back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, sounds good. Terence with one R, how are you doing? How is your life? How do you feel today, this morning at fifty-seven K?
1: It's great. I'm gonna do fifty-eight push-ups today to get to the next level. I mean, that is how the price correlates, right, with our push-ups.
0: Look, no need to brag. And yes, one hundred percent. That's how it works. Keep it going. Dom, how's it going? What you up to?
3: I got the 57 glitch. It's where people talk, but you can't hear them. But this is in real life, though. So.
0: I don't fully understand, but I think I do. So uh we'll keep going. How many lives have you saved from the fires of Fiat Apocalypse today? Today only, in the last six hours.
3: Gosh, zero.
0: Fair enough, sir. Asked and answered. Stefan, can you hear us now? Uh, he's still requesting. We'll come back around. Chris, Jacob, welcome to the stage. How are both of you doing?
4: Doing well. We're officially in a bull market. Literally had two texts yesterday from buddies that are like, yo, I wasn't in Bitcoin. Need to get in Bitcoin now. I see it's rocking up. Can, can you guys help me out? I need to set up an account. Oh my God, there's limits. I can only buy 500 bucks. So we are officially in a bull market,
2: I feel.
0: Yep, I got a bunch of those too.
2: Okay, just joined, just rejoined back. Sorry, I, I'm not sure if you were speaking to me earlier, because I couldn't hear you. Um, so I heard the music, and then I just heard it blank for a bit. And I was kind of like, oh, okay, um, I'll just wait for, you know, something to happen. And and then I realized later, oh, wait, no, maybe you're actually asking me something. And I'm <laughs> just not hearing. <laughs> Sorry, guys. No
0: worries.
5: Can but you, uh, Yeah, hear? look,
2: I'm excited. I think it's, uh, you know, I, I think this is a great day. Um, uh, the 58k gang i'm just excited to see what the 58k gang have in store for us and of course um there is the question of whether they should be rebranding to the 0.058 million gang
0: absolutely wait just a quick check stefan can you hear me now or can you only hear terence with one r
2: yeah i can hear you p yep
0: outstanding all right my friends let's get into it um Alex Thorne uh, tweeted out yesterday that Bitcoin has only traded higher than today on 80 days in its 5,533-day history. That is 1.4% of its life. And uh, it's pretty wild. Uh, I was shocked by that by that statistic. Makes sense.
2: Yeah, yes. I mean, I think it's it bull, Bitcoin bull markets are so, they just kind of see into your brain. And people don't really realize just how short they are. Right. So that's, I think people have this conception as I'll give you another example from the 2017 cycle. If you think of 2017, a lot of people think, oh yeah, $20,000 top. But you know what? 75% of that year was under $5,000. 90% of that year was under $10,000. And so it was just that last period where Bitcoin went over $10,000. And it obviously uh, towards the end of December 2017, it went to like 20K. And I think it's a similar thing with 2021 and 2022. People have this sort of funny memory of what it was like that it was like you know that it was 58k all the time right that 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 was where the meme came from right it was this meme of oh 58k uh how much time are we spending at 58k people did that um, you know that robert downey jr eye rolling meme of like oh we're still stuck (laughs) at 58k when are we going to 100k like that was what people that was their perception of it and obviously it's it's like seared into our minds but that it actually didn't spend that long up here
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody was bored at 58. I remember that. Uh, Chris, man, you got your hand raised. What's up?
4: Yeah, no. And also, I think that this is, uh, you know, I'm not going to start saying the super cycle. I got burned saying that last cycle, all that. But the one thing that is interesting, this cycle compared to other cycles, normally, I think within uh, 60 days of the halving, normally, historically, Bitcoin's been about 40 to 50 40 to 60% off its all time high Uh, right now we're encroaching. We're much closer than that. I think I remember we were like 20% out, but as we're still rocketing up uh, closer to the all time high right before the halving. So uh, very interesting. If we're going to finally have uh, more of a, uh, I guess a higher bull run, a much higher bull run, or I, I don't know the metrics of it, but very interesting for sure.
0: Absolutely. John, welcome to the stage.
6: Good morning, everyone. I want to say hi to the OGs. Uh, if you held through the 28-day bear market from mid-January to mid-February, you were officially an OG. So, congratulations, everyone. Absolutely. Those people did it. Those
3: people did it the hard way.
0: <laughs> I see what you did there, and I fully <laughs> approve. Well done, sir. Oh man, uh, we were just talking about how everybody is, you know, texting us now. I'm sure you get it more than anyone given your, uh, your, you know, history at Goldman Sachs and, and in the, uh, traditional financial markets, I'm sure you have people messaging you that were like, Oh my God, you were right all along.
6: (laughs) Definitely getting some of them. I I think it might take, I don't know, another like 10 K in the price or maybe even an all time high. I feel like we're still in the early stages of that. Um, there, there's definitely a two way flow there. Uh, I have sent out a few texts where I was pinging some of my friends in October, November, and I was just like, hey, guys, how about you just start an IRA and put $7,000 worth of Bitcoin in it? You know, what's the worst that could happen? I think if you, you do this, you'll be happy in a few years. And unfortunately, most of them did not listen. So uh, yesterday, I did make it a point to, say, to screenshot that and say, uh, hey, did anyone listen to me on this, uh, knowing that the answer was No. But, uh, yeah, so there, there's two-way text flow there.
0: I'll admit that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, uh, one of the things we were talking about last night when we, uh, we opened a, a late room, and we are talking about how um, with the it's, it's been this growing trend, the de-risking of talking about Bitcoin publicly. But you know, Corey was talking about recently that with the launch of the ETFs, the risk for the average well-known, you know, influencer, news anchor person talking about Bitcoin is significantly lowered. And so we're seeing more and more and more people talking about Bitcoin publicly. And they're not seen as this like fringe lunatic. And uh, recently, Trevor Noah, Trevor Noah, excuse me, actually was talking about Bitcoin on stage. Jacob, do you have that clip?
5: I do. Just give me just two moments and I can, uh, I'll definitely play it for
3: us here. Sorry. All right basically Whoa, it's him damn. jacob at 57 is like a you know sorry man i'm just watching this price chart on, just on the glued youtube it. channel you, glued know
4: it it. you know how it is you know how it's jacob's like yeah watch your mouth otherwise i'm heading out of here
0: <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see how you do well while uh while jacob pulls that up um oh up no no i have
7: it ready now i have it <laughs> yeah.
0: roll a clip roll the tape. tape in your life the biggest mistake I've ever made? Yeah,
5: what's that one mistake?
0: Oh. And how did you recover from it? How did you turn it into Biggest a- mistake I've ever made, <laughs> not buying Bitcoin
7: when it was nothing. <laughs> I mean, that's the biggest mistake I've made. It, was, it cost nothing at some point. You know what I mean? That, that was maybe the biggest mistake I've made. And, um, and not taking the time to understand it. Yeah. But how do you recover from it? You also understand <laughs> that life is
0: full of mistakes. Made in your life the biggest mistake i've man so i think there's so many interesting things about that clip one is he is coming at it from only the financial angle or it seems like that and the second thing is that i I disagree with him the conclusion is what do you do with that you learn about bitcoin now you start buying bitcoin now you learn about how it's this freedom technology Uh, i'm curious what other people think though
1: we all get bitcoin when we admit we were wrong right Yeah. Also,
3: the cost of Bitcoin um, was never nothing. It was it was having tremendous huevos and courage uh, to get in on something that literally no one believed in. So there was a heavy cost, uh, even when it was, you know, a dollar. Absolutely. Uh, Shout out uh, Natalie
6: Brunel. Didn't she have an interview with Peter Schiff, I want to say, within the last like year, maybe 18 months, where she. She basically got him to admit, and maybe he was doing it a little tongue-in-cheek, but I think he said something like, oh, man, I wish I would have bought Bitcoin. Um, so it reminded me of, of that, too. That I, I think she actually got him to say that at some point.
0: Yeah. But I, I, I'll say it one more time, and I really want to stress it. One of the things that I've noticed, and this happened in the, it happens in every you know, bull market, but a huge percentage of people, they think they've missed the boat. They think that, you know, oh, it's too late. I should have bought it before. And the reality is there are there's almost no one who got Bitcoin, you know, 10 years ago and still has all that Bitcoin. It's a, it's yep. a constant process. And you can start learning about Bitcoin today, right now, and it, it will have a massive positive impact on your life, not only from the financial perspective, but just from the perspective of understanding how the financial system is stacked against you, how central banks actually work and the importance of freedom technology. But I can't emphasize that enough. Uh, take the opportunity, if you are not already, uh, if you don't already understand Bitcoin, start learning today and uh, you're not too late. You're early.
3: Yeah, most, most people writing, that- uh, I remember writing- You going, go on, Dom. I, I was only gonna say most people that say they missed out on getting Bitcoin early are really saying I missed out on getting a bunch of fiat gains and money. But once you start realizing like, oh, what if I can say I missed out on buying into and opting into Bitcoin and owning a part of Bitcoin, not just the asset, but everything it represents, then that will diminish this, this feeling that you missed out because surely you can still do that and you did not miss out. But if you're if you're talking fiat games, then it overwhelms your thinking.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I would say it's it's fair to think at least in terms of purchasing power, right? Like part of why people even get into Bitcoin, of course, there's the freedom and, you know, sound money angle to it. But for a lot of people, it frankly is about preserving your purchasing power. And so I guess it's not uh, wrong to want to preserve or increase your purchasing power. And I understand where, you know, for a lot of people, they feel like it's too late. I'll just make a point that I, I people have been saying this for a long time. I, I wrote a blog post about this in 2013, saying it's never too late, you know, basically making that point that, hey, look, even in a world with Bitcoin as, you know, full adoption, it's not too late to use it because it's going to be going up over time anyway, like in terms of purchasing power, uh, even in the hyper bitcoinized world. Uh, And with this Trevor Noah clip, I think it's funny because every now and again that you get these clips of like let's say quote unquote mainstream people who are not known in the world of Bitcoin talking about it, right? Like there was that clip with that in the the Barbie, um, Margot Robbie was saying something like, Oh, our husband's talking about some male thing, probably like about Bitcoin or whatever. Or well, there's another example where um you might have seen this clip doing the rounds recently. Funnily enough, my wife sent it to me as well. She saw this clip. This guy was on a talk show and I think they were talking about how the engagement broke down and um He was joking about getting the ring back and being like, thank you. That's a Bitcoin. Right. And again, it's kind of it just sort of shows up in random places uh, where you wouldn't expect it. And so we're going to see that more and more. And uh, yeah, really, the lesson is to just get started at some point, even in a small way. Uh, Of course, for a lot of people, it's an ego thing. Um, But yeah, John, you want to jump in? Yeah,
6: no, that's that is great. Um, my wife saw the same clip. I believe that was Vanderpump Rules. I'm slightly embarrassed to know that, but I'm pretty sure that's where that was. Um, a, few, a few things. So one, P mentioned uh, news anchors being kind of more willing and able to just mention Bitcoin and have it not be weird, have it not be something that uh, hurts their reputation. And a clip that was obviously making the rounds last week was when Trump got asked about Bitcoin. And obviously his response was what most people talked about. But I thought it was fascinating just that the, the news host, it was Laura Ingram of Fox. She was the one who phrased it. She was like, isn't the next logical step Bitcoin? You know, like for her to just phrase that question that way, totally, totally comfortably, as if it's like a normal question, just shows how far um, we have come. So I wanted to highlight that. And then one other thing, um, this idea of missing the boat. This, this is not just unique to Bitcoin. And I would think that TradFi people should get this a, a little bit more easily, whether it's Microsoft, whether it's Apple, whether it's Amazon. There have been times over the last two decades where people have said, oh, I missed it. You know, everyone knows about this now. Look Look how much the stock has gone up the past three years or whatever time period you look at. I missed it. And um, there's a friend of Swan, um, UGF, for, for anyone who knows him. He had a great post on LinkedIn. It's really short. I'll just read it. It was about a month ago. And he said, Microsoft's market cap just flipped Apple at $2.9 trillion to take place as the most valuable company in the world. Back in the early 90s, everyone on Wall Street was looking for the, quote unquote, next Microsoft. But the next Microsoft was Microsoft. Um, and he's obviously relating that to Bitcoin. And I think there's just a huge lesson to be taken there that, um, and we, that, you know, if that applies to Microsoft, we obviously believe that that applies even more so to Bitcoin. Um, the Absolutely. ceiling on Bitcoin, if we're talking, you know, gold is $10 trillion, I, I, the chances of Microsoft getting to $10 trillion before an asset like Bitcoin does, I, I think it's much lower. So yeah, it, this, this should be a concept that applies to Wall Street people, but um, it, it might take them a little longer to get it.
0: Absolutely, I, I completely agree. Um, okay, I'm gonna keep us moving. Um, I wanted to get everyone's thoughts on uh, there is a new or is a, there's a new piece of legislation that was introduced by Republican lawmakers to ban CBDCs. Um, CBDCs are something we talk about a lot. They are a technology that allows uh, a number of negative things, but one of them is unprecedented financial surveillance, and it gives governments uh, the tools to not only see all the transactions that are happening, but also to impose, um, you know, economic, let's call it what it is, economic violence against its citizens much, much more easily. Um, it gives them full control over the money. And, uh, uh, I'll just read a couple quotes, and then I'd love to toss it back to the speakers and see what everybody else thinks. Um, Senator Budd said, as Americans face the prospect of an increasingly weaponized government, ensuring financial privacy is pivotal. A CBDC would open the door for the federal government to surveil and control the spending habits of all Americans. Any push to establish a CBDC must be confronted and stopped, blah, 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 blah. And then he tries to leverage it into his own political career. Stefan, John, Neil, anybody have thoughts Look, about— uh, I think.
2: Yeah, sure. I'll just jump in quickly. I think the CBDC. Obviously, there's the control angle. There's the inflationary angle. There's the angle that that it can be used to control what you spend your money on. I think the main point I would make, which is there is a crisis theory here. Like the idea is they use a crisis to drive through new controls. And and I'm not saying that in some you know conspiracy sense. I just mean like naturally, that's just kind of a reaction that happens. People get scared, and then Government steps in, or somebody in the government, a politician, will sort of step in and say, Hey, see, I'm going to do this to help you. And then the people yell for it, right? As we saw with COVID, people were screaming for lockdowns and mandates and all this other stuff. So it's a similar thing that there will be some narrative in the future. It's hard to predict exactly what it will be, but it'll be something like, Oh, you know, there's like uh, this bad thing happening, and we need CBDCs to help you know, help the government stop that bad thing. And that's why you should support it. Now, obviously, it's become a political thing. So what we're seeing in the the American political world is, let's say, the right leaning side is coming out anti-CBDC. So the likes of Ted Cruz and DeSantis and Trump and, you know, and Vivek and people like that have come out strongly against it. And so I would say that's, that's kind of where things are currently. It's mainly in like a pilot phase or trial phase in various countries. There are some big countries trying it, let's say Russia, China, India, etc. Um, but in terms of like actually coming in, I think it'll take another quote-unquote crisis. Okay, now do I agree it's a real crisis? No, but they'll, they'll come up with a crisis, whether it's the climate thing, whether it's you know some other thing, whether it's the terrorism, the money laundering angles. Those will be the angles that will be used to push it through. Because for now, CBDCs are very, very unpopular with the masses. Most of the people in the masses are not like, yeah, we need a CBDC. No, it's just being driven by a few people. And what what it takes to drive it over that line is a crisis.
0: Absolutely. Well said.
2: Very much agree. I
6: I made a joke back in March of 2023, which – it's crazy that that's not even a year ago that there were the U.S. banking failures and, and short-lived crisis because they reacted so quickly. But um, said something to the effect of FDIC insurance will be effectively unlimited for the next 15 days. We will call it 15 days to slow the spread of bank failures. Um, but I think, you know, getting to what Stefan was saying, that it would take some sort of crisis in order to get people on board with, with a, you know, let's call it a full-on CBDC Um, And just a few comments on like comparing. I think there's three main buckets to compare. It's like the existing system. Let's call it like the bank, uh, commercial banking plus central banking model. Then there's Bitcoin. And then there's full on CBDC, where the thing you hold is a liability of the central bank. The benefit, and I hate to even use that word, but the benefit of the CBDC model, they'll frame it as a benefit, is look, you can't have a bank failure because this is a liability of the central bank directly. And uh, that's one way they could have instituted it and said, look, there's commercial bank failures. We need this CBDC so that we don't have any more bank failures. I don't think that was a realistic option for them because allowing the bank failures is such a chaotic, socially destructive thing that they, they couldn't really do it that way. Um, but I just wanted to highlight the fact that there's kind of these three, three different buckets Bitcoin, the commercial banking system, plus central banking we have now, and CBDC. And what we all know as Bitcoiners is, what does Bitcoin you know, protect you from, if you're going to summarize it really quickly, debasement, censorship, and seizure. And the CBDC is obviously on the total opposite end of that. You are exposed to debasement, censorship, and seizure. So you know, they, they couldn't be more opposed in that
2: sense i'll just point out as well i mean i agree with john i think one differentiation that we might see around the world is there will be different styles of cbdc so the term people are using for this now is retail cbdc versus wholesale cbdc so that's going to be kind of like are you going to cut out the retail banks and will it be directly managed and operated by the central bank or will the retail banks and commercial banks of today be cut into the deal, and they will be the ones who sort of help institute this arrangement. So that's going to be another angle as well. Like, is it going to be a retail CBDC or a wholesale CBDC? And they'll have some slightly different uh, implications of what, you know, how they're managed, how they're run. Because at the end of the day, most of these governments do not actually have highly technical, competent staff, they need to outsource, they need to get somebody else to deal with it. And so that may be where you know, central banks may not have the capability to do tech support for grandma on her CBDC. And that's why they want, they will sort of leverage that out to, or get private entities to deal with that. And that's where this kind of retail or wholesale angle may come in, where they may have, you know, they'll say, okay, existing banks, you just take on this new CBDC and learn how to deal with it that way, you know? So that's kind of another angle that's going to come in. Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Uh, two things before I forget. One, uh, as we're talking about, or we were talking earlier about, it's never too early, it's never too late to learn about Bitcoin. I want to uh, I want to let everybody know that tonight we have an amazing show with Stefan and Brady, which is Welcome to Bitcoin Live. Stefan, what time is that on?
2: Uh, i I got to check because for me in Dubai time, it's 7.30 a.m. tomorrow morning. <laughs> so 10.30 I yeah. uh, Eastern.
0: 10 30 eastern today tonight be there it's a fantastic uh twitter spaces show with brady and stefan to learn about bitcoin to hear people asking questions about bitcoin i also want to uh shill our welcome to bitcoin course which uh is a fantastic resource for people who want to watch the incredible natalie brunell educate people on what bitcoin is the resource that i use when people are like what is a bitcoin how does one satoshi i send them that link and They quickly become educated. I think there was somebody else who was going to jump in at one point.
2: Yeah, if anyone has something, otherwise I'll jump in with another topic, which I think is interesting as well.
0: Hit it. Go for it
2: okay cool well um yeah i uh i saw this idea um from joe burnett so uh he's uh, on twitter as three capital and he was basically pointing out look there will be a whole bunch of people who use their bitcoin etfs and lever up now obvious disclaimers here not your keys not your coins make sure you hold your own keys um you know as, as much as you reasonably can but I know there'll be a bunch of people who start with buying these ETFs. And then in terms of like cycle analysis, you have to sort of think, what are people gonna do? And a lot of the people who are, let's say high net worth, they have their account on these interactive brokers and so on, they're gonna buy ETFs. And what some of them are gonna do is lever against them, right? So they can do margin trading and what the interest rate on offer here is something like six or 7%. And so at that level, there may be a bunch of people who get degen, they decide, hey, let me just uh, borrow against my Bitcoin ETF and use that to buy even more Bitcoin ETFs. And so if they're paying, call it 6 or 7% interest rates for the price to do that, and if Bitcoin's CAGR is, you know, and by CAGR, Q- compound annualized growth rate, let's say 40%, 50% per year, they're going to, you know, there's going to be a bunch of people who do that. Now, That's going to probably drive a whole bunch of leverage and, you know, there is nothing new under the sun. We've seen leverage in prior cycles and that's, you know, going to be a bit of a crazy dynamic to watch what's happening. But I think that might be an interesting thing for people to sort of stop and think about. Um, Now, I'm not saying go partake in that, but I'm just saying that is, it seems to me, likely that there are going to be people who do that. So obviously be wary of that um, and just sort of understand that that, you know, things could really heat up. And that is one way that it could really heat up.
0: Well said. Anybody else have any thoughts they want to uh, add on that point? All right. Let's keep going. Um, One of the other things that caught my eye is uh, the Fidelity Director of Global Macro. I'm going to mispronounce his name. uh, Jurian Timmer? Jurian Timmer? predicts that Bitcoin could reach a $6 trillion market cap. Um, His analysis draws parallels between Bitcoin and the, you know, quote-unquote monetary gold market, which encompasses gold held by central banks and private investors for monetary purposes. Currently valued at around $6 billion, excuse me, $6 trillion. This market represents a significant portion of global wealth. He suggests that Bitcoin, with its finite supply and growing acceptance as a store of value, could capture a quarter of this market. What do you guys think? Is he uh, is he too bearish?
1: Yeah, it's still maybe just a drop in the bucket. Oh, go ahead, seven.
2: Oh yeah, I was just going to say I think that might also be part of a narrative over the next year or two. Um, if you know, as the bull market heats up, there'll be you know, and I think the halving will drive this conversation too because bitcoins. Inflation rate will be so low, I think it'll be you know, under 1%, maybe 0.8% last I checked. Someone, someone check me if I'm wrong there. But it's going to be really, really low. It's going to be way lower than gold. And so that might also start driving the narrative of, hey, should Bitcoin's market be bigger than the market for gold? And the market for gold is, call it, $12, 13000000000000 And so the implied price from a Bitcoin perspective, if Bitcoin were equalized with gold, we're talking in the $650,000 range. In that, we're talking in, in that ballpark. And so there'll be a lot of people talking about that, too. And so that might be kind of a a, a target in people's minds of, um, you know, just how high do they think it is going to go.
0: Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Johnny, any thoughts there?
2: Yeah,
6: I, I think this is another thing I would put in the category of things that TradFi people should understand. But for some reason, you know, they have their blinders on and biases on when it comes to Bitcoin. Um, the first one we mentioned earlier was this idea of like, oh, I missed it, whether it's Microsoft, Apple, Google, uh, Amazon, whatever. But then that big company just, you know, keeps growing over time and you, and you didn't miss it. Uh, they, they seem to not really understand that that same concept could apply to Bitcoin. And then um, this concept as well, this, this idea of valuations using comparables or what, you know, the fancier term would be relative value analysis. And this is how investors do analysis all the time. This is how we did analysis as a fixed income portfolio management team. Um, in fixed income, you look at bonds based on how they trade and spread to treasuries. So it's a little bit different, but it's the same concept as looking at you know, price of equities or something. And you would look at all the companies that are in a particular industry and you would sort by tightest to widest spread. And then you would try to say, you know, do these prices make sense? I'll, it spreads are effectively prices um, for, this, for this purpose. Um, you'd say, do these prices make sense? And you'd say, well, I've, actually, I think this company is a little bit better, you know, profile and risk than this company. But, you know, the price is not reflecting that. They, you know, therefore, I want to take action here. I want to go overweight this name, underweight this name. Um, and that's the exact same type of analysis you're doing when you say Bitcoin's total market cap you know, call it roughly $1 trillion today. Now, now it's over $1 trillion. Um, What is the next most comparable asset? What is the next stop for Bitcoin if it keeps growing? And I think the obvious answer is gold. And if you're looking at it and, and Bitcoin is, you know, 10% or less of the current market cap of gold, you just say, <laughs> okay, I think there's a, a, a risk, you know, good risk-reward here. Um, so again, that all of that should resonate with TradFi people and maybe the black rocks of the world, the fidelities of the world, Yuri Timmer, whoever getting into this is, is going to make them see that. Um but they're not there yet. I, I think we're still early in that process.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's like we need to send out a, a software update to all the gold bugs and all the people that understand gold because it you know it's just like our phones are computers like hey your phone's going to update tonight, you know, you you need to update the software because it quite literally is is just a software update on gold. So to suggest you know that Bitcoin is going to go to a six trillion market cap, which is only half or less than half of gold, um, seems very conservative to me. so agree I agree with you, John and Stefan.
6: yeah, I mean, I just even like the concept of total addressable market is kind of another way, you know, this, this is another way that TradFi people should be accustomed to thinking. Um, that's a little bit trickier when it comes to, or it's just, you know, very hard to quantify and talk about how that feeds into market cap. But um, I, I think this is all positive stuff because it, it makes Bitcoin's valuation and uh, analysis of Bitcoin's price a little bit more tangible for the TradFi folks. So um, I, I think we'll, we'll get there with them, but um, we're in the early stages of it.
2: But John, Bitcoin has no cash flows.
6: <laughs> you know my favorite version of that is you can't you can't eat Bitcoin. And that you know, <laughs> the, the, Wait, the response they, they'd say, yeah, it has no intrinsic value. You can't eat it. I'd say yes, oh but, but a treasury tastes. You can't
2: great live in breakfast. a bitcoin. <laughs>
6: you can't live in a bitcoin, but you can live in a treasury. <laughs> Jeff Snyder told me that.
0: <laughs> I love that so much. You can't eat Bitcoin. Do things that will never happen. Um All right, what else we got? What other stuff has been happening over the last couple days that uh, has caught anyone's attention, gotten people excited, infuriated you?
1: Well, I was just going to add to what John and Stefan were just joking about. I mean, Peter Schiff said that Bitcoiners are not buying Bitcoin as a store of value. They're only buying it because they expect the price to go up in the future. Wait, who said that? Peter Schiff.
0: Interesting. I mean, I think that is,
1: that, is, that is a large part of it. but um, No, but yeah. he literally just defined the store of value. That's what cracks me <laughs> I, up.
0: I see. <laughs>
6: hold on, hold on. If it's a store of value, we all know now it would remain one price. Everyone say it with me. That's what a store of value is. Come on, Terrence, we know this now.
1: Yeah, Andrew Sorkin on CNBC taught us that You know, with his, with his great uh, reaction at the end. Like, hey, if it was a store of value, the, the price would stay the same.
2: I it's just- always it's always struck me as such a crazy expectation that uh, it, there should be no central bank, but also somehow the price, like the point of Bitcoin, is to not have a central bank, but they still somehow expect it to have a stable price. And it's like, no, man, you can have one or the other, right? Like you either have a centralized management or you have to let the price run freely and. So I think, you know, really what's going on is they've got this ideological blunder in their minds. Like they just think the money has to be centrally controlled and managed and there's no other way. And so that's why, you know, the Andrew Salkins of the world, they they sort of struggle with Bitcoin and you almost get the sense that they hate when it gets brought up, right? Like they sort of, uh, what's the word? They sort of regret that they have to talk about it or ask questions about it. And then you've got other people on the show, you know, like... Uh, What's his name? Uh, Joe Squawk, right? Uh, And so he'll be, uh, I mean, that's not his real last name. I forgot his last name. Joe Kernan. Right. And um, Joe Kernan will be out there sort of enthusiastically asking questions about Bitcoin or even challenging the guests uh, on the show. And then Andrew will sort of be there being the no-coiner advocate or sort of helping uh, run cover fire or sort of be the uh, uh, fodder for the the fiat uh, no-coiner position, which is always funny to see. But, uh, you know, it's becoming, uh, as uh, P was pointing out, it's becoming harder and harder to deny. You can't really deny this thing because it's just come back so many times. It's come back from so many 80% drawdowns or even 50% drawdowns that you have to stop back and think, wait a second, is there something here that I'm missing? How can it be that it just keeps going down and coming back every time? Um, but the, the other aspect of it is, for a lot of people, it's like the world only begins when they started looking at it, right? Like Bitcoin only mattered from the time they were serious about it. And the, so they forget all the history that's happened, all the things that brought Bitcoin to where it is today, whether that's from a technical perspective or the the various you know, social aspects, uh, you know, the history, uh, the uh, mystery of who Satoshi is or whether the scammers in the space or scammers in quote-unquote crypto, like it it sort of only matters from when they started being serious about it. (laughs) So I I have a few things to say to that, and that's hilarious. Um,
6: You made me think of a few things there, Stefan. One is this idea that they, you know, don't like being asked about it, and, and that, of course, made me think of Jamie Dimon at Davos this year. Uh, Dom, you probably saw this live since, you know, you and Mitch were, were at Davos. But uh, Jamie Dimon said this is the last time he's going to talk about Bitcoin. Um, and I think we all <laughs> know that that is probably not going to be the case. Um, right. And also related to that, Stefan made me, you know, Stefan, you were like half joking when you said it, but Bitcoin has no cash flow. So that actually is a very common retort of the TradFi community. And the the fundamental misunderstanding there, in my opinion, is the idea of money, a savings asset versus an investment asset where you're taking risk. You expect to get, you know, whether it's cash flow or future cash flow, whatever. This is one that I think this will take the TradFi community a very long time to understand. The other stuff we were talking about, valuation models for Bitcoin, the idea that you didn't miss the boat just because you're getting in now. I think that is a shorter bridge for them to get across. The idea that there's a difference between a monetary savings asset that yes, it does nothing, uh, you know, quote unquote does nothing, meaning that, you know, there's not a business behind it. There's not cash flow, et cetera. There's not a management team um, that that is distinctly different from investing, but just because it's different and because it's not investing, that doesn't mean it, it doesn't have tremendous value for people. So, uh, that's going to take them a lot longer to understand, but I think that's fine because once you understand that, you're basically, you know, in the sound money camp firmly. So at, the, at that point, you're just basically a full on Bitcoiner, <laughs> in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I mean, what's it going to take for some of these uh, fiat journalists to uh, actually try and steel man the, their opponent's view, right? I think the funny thing is you probably got more Austrian economists who've actually gone and read the Keynes and the MMT people more so than the Keynes and MMT people have gone and actually read the Austrians. And so I think there's a disparity there, and that's often why you get this kind of funny uh, – it's just this funny uh, way it looks, right? When the Andrew Sorkins of the world are sort of poo-pooing Bitcoin because, hey, quote-unquote, it has no cash flow. They haven't sort of stopped to think about, well, wait a minute, what, what, is, what should money be? Why should How should money arise? And some of these questions, which, you know, obviously they would not have gone uh, and studied that. Uh, of course, they could pick up the Bitcoin standard. They could listen to some, you know, Swan podcast. They could go to, welcome to Bitcoin. You know, we should tell Andrew Sorkin, we should get in his mentions and post swan.com slash welcome. Everyone, get out there. We're going to post it in his mentions and uh, get him to see the light that way, so that he can actually learn from us and from uh, Natalie Brunel and from us who you know help them uh, to help him understand that uh, the you know it, it Bitcoin doesn't need a cash flow. Um, and oh, we've just seen we've got Pierre up on stage. I'd love to hear from Pierre. Um, you know what's happening with you, Pierre, and what's wh- why doesn't Bitcoin have a cash flow? Yeah, great question,
5: Stefan. I mean, its it, but the answer is simple, which is that it is cash itself, right? And so it's kind of a tautology to expect to have a cash flow. The cash flow is one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. So you can always trade one Bitcoin for one Bitcoin. So you already have a, you know, a circular economy of cash flow there. But you know, more seriously, uh, I find myself uh, this morning uh, driving up to uh, Waco, Texas, uh, where we are defending the Bitcoin cult against the federal government. Uh, except, uh, you know, I think we're going to this time. So I'm excited about the litigation that's going on there uh, against the Biden administration.
0: Fantastic. If you're in the audience and you have not seen the incredible, hysterical video that Pierre made uh, <laughs> testing Bitcoin mining sites for carbon emissions, it's incredible. Go watch it immediately. Uh, Pierre, I'm sure they can find that somewhere on your uh on your twitter feed but uh
5: yeah, it's on the right YouTube channel. It's, uh, right the number one video uh, it's directly related to this litigation because you know the elizabeth warrens of the world are, are claiming that there's a climate emergency and that bitcoin miners are you know part of this emergency uh and so that that video debunks uh the myth that there's any carbon emissions coming from bitcoin miners
0: yep yep yep, 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 but again, the level of humor is amazing. Go watch it if you haven't seen it guys it's uh it's great. What else we got, my friends
6: I will just say piggybacking on the the idea of you know Bitcoin doesn't have cash flow, therefore they imply therefore it's you know not valuable, and totally agree with what Pierre and Stefan are saying that you know it act it is currency, it is money itself um. So I think that the way that this you know, conversation goes with the, the tra- Bitcoin detractors is that they say, well, it has no cash flow, you know, therefore it's not a, a valuable investment. And then someone like us would say, oh, it's money. You know, it is the underlying asset. It is the currency itself. Um, and then they would say in response, well, you can't use it to buy things everywhere. Um, so that's like this kind of, <laughs> I've seen this so many times, like that's the circular conversation you get in. And their view is, well, I can't walk into, you know, any store in America and pay using Bitcoin today, you know, therefore Bitcoin has failed as a currency. Or you, you basically see this in the ECB's um, uh, blog post that they made last week. Like this was their reasoning that it's not an investment because it's speculative and it has no cash flow and it's not currency because you can't use it everywhere. Um, that's kind of what they're hanging their hat on. Uh, I obviously think that is incredibly short sighted. Um, I think the equivalent would be like, you know, looking at, uh, I don't know, just pick Amazon in the early days and saying, this isn't a company that, you know, I, this isn't a global e-commerce company because you can barely buy things on it. Um, and the obvious response would be, yeah, they're in the process of building that. You know, let's let's use a little bit of foresight. But uh, yeah. I think that's too much to ask of those people.
2: I want to add to that. That's a great point, John. And you know, the funniest thing is they are very... Let's say disingenuous when they say that, because remember, the government forces you to ex- to use its legal tender, right? You are forced to accept the U.S. dollar if you are an American merchant, right? Like it's not it's not just like it. It wasn't just like people just spontaneously decided to use and choose fiat currency, unbacked by anything. They were forced into this, right? It's and it's the same thing with the EU and the ECB. People are forced to use the euro. It's not like they, you know, all voluntarily agreed to it, right? Because that is the statist, chartalist narrative. It's this idea of, oh, see, we, quote unquote, are the government. It's this collectivist idea. We are the government and we all voluntarily chose to adopt the euro. And that's the narrative that they go with. And so they will selectively just say, oh, well, see, you can't spend your Bitcoin in every place in Europe. Therefore, you know, we, the ECB, think it it's not, doesn't count as money. It's not a currency. But they are sort of conveniently ignoring the force and the coercion that was what pushed people to accept the euro. If left absent, if it was just left to people's own choices, people would choose free market money. And that's actually what sound money is. It's money that is not obstructed by the state, and it's money that is chosen by the people. Chris, go on.
4: No, I I think adding to that, the the irony of it all, Stefan, I don't know if you saw Tucker Carlson uh, was claiming uh, last week that Boris Johnson, the former Prime Minister of the of the UK or England, was basically saying that he wouldn't even accept uh, the British pound. You know, if he were to do an interview, he was kind of uh, saying that he wanted a bribe, in theory, of a million dollars in either Bitcoin, gold, or U.S. dollars. So Is the irony of it all?
5: I think that there's like a cognitive bias that hey. You are buying dollars using Bitcoin. That does not count. You have to be buying coffee using Bitcoin. And I think this just shows that it's a lack of understanding of what a how currencies work. Right? That hey, if I'm in Europe and I spend dollars and my credit card is converting it automatically into euros, um, it would be really silly to say oh dollars are not actually money because you're converting the dollars into euros. And then what you're actually using as money is, is the euro, uh, which it's just, it's it's it happenstance it happens of, of foreign exchange, how that works. And from an economic perspective, there's zero difference between buying and selling dollars versus buying and selling coffee uh, using Bitcoin. In either case, you're, you're, you're using Bitcoin, right? Um, and then the other part of it, I think, though, is that there's this anti-capitalist mindset of speculation is bad. Right. If they say, "Oh, Bitcoin's only use is speculative," uh, then that's inherently bad. From an Austrian perspective, literally everything is speculation. Uh, including, you know, every breath we take is, is speculation about what we're breathing in. So, I think that the the, the nonsense that the ECB is publishing is really just—it's intellectually vapid and dishonest.
6: I'll just say that that's a great point about using the dollars converting to euros and then using the euros. I had never thought of it that way. and I think that really does paint the picture pretty well that if you can basically you know take one hop from you know monetary asset a to monetary asset B and then you happen to use monetary asset B to make the final payment, um I think that's pretty clear evidence that you know monetary asset a, whatever it was, allowed you to uh, eventually make that, that payment and, and acquire whatever the you know, day-to-day good or service was in the economy. Um, I, I will definitely use that one going forward.
5: They, they don't want to accept that fiat it has become just a utility token, right? It's just a, a payments app coin uh, that you want to get in and out of as quickly as possible.
2: And I think one other interesting stat that people might be interested—and in, Matthew Machinskis, uh, shout out for him—he is uh, on uh, Polkopoulos Economics. And I think his handle is One Base Money. But he points out that from a base money perspective, Bitcoin is already number seven globally, right? And so, what what am I talking about here? Base money is think of that like central bank money, right? That's their own reserves; they can create it. But if you were to, let's say, dollarize it and just consider and compare all the different monies you know, in terms of fiat currencies around the world, Bitcoin today is already number seven. It's already, you know, in the top 10 globally. And so it's kind of insane for people who think that, oh, see, it's not a real currency, blah, blah, blah. They're just just sort of um, obfuscating and neglecting that there are different ways of counting and thinking about money. And if you look at it from a base money perspective, if you compare Bitcoin as a base money against the base money of, let's say, the US dollar or the euro and all these others, it's already right up there. And so it's just crazy that, um, that people are not able to zoom out and see how much progress has been made just since January 2009.
0: Dr. Jeff, I want to welcome you to the stage as well. How's it going? What are your thoughts? Give it to us.
8: Hey. <laughs> Morning, P. Thanks for having me up. Hey, everybody. Hope you're all doing well. Great discussion. Uh, I just agree with everything that has been said. And Um, To piggyback on what um, Stefan and Pierre were saying earlier, too, I I would say that, you know, if the IRS came out with the announcement today that they are now treating Bitcoin transactions as currency instead of as property, meaning that you don't get uh, you you don't have to uh, um, take a tax hit every time you sell Bitcoin to buy something. Um, it would instantly be used much more frequently uh, as a medium of exchange. So that's one thing. They're actually hindering the progress of Bitcoin as a medium of exchange, uh, and slowing it down as much as possible, and then they, on the and then on the other hand, they sit there and make fun of it as being a poor medium of exchange. So they're they're hypocrites uh, in every way, of course, um, and they want their tentacles and everything that that Bitcoiners are doing, and and it's very frustrating for them because it's hard to get their tentacles uh, into Bitcoin. Um, so so totally agree with that. Um, I you know, and then the other thing is Stefan just left, but you know, regarding Bitcoin as being number seven uh, uh, of the currencies in the world. It's obviously, I think it's inevitable that it's going to number one, and it does that by absorbing the purchasing power of all of the other currencies. So we're seeing weak currencies fall uh, by the wayside and fall in relevance right now. Um, I think we're heading to a world uh, in the next 10 years probably where we basically have the big three, the U.S. dollar, um, probably the BRICS currency, China of some sort. uh, And then Bitcoin is the dark horse that's just ripping higher, exponentially growing faster and absorbing the purchasing power of all of these other currencies. So um, it's on its way to becoming the world's leading reserve currency, obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, who hates that? Obviously, the, the nation states that control uh, currency, they hate that. Why? Because they can, as they produce their currency, they can actually steal the purchasing power of their citizens and maintain their dominance. Uh, and so, as Bitcoin continues to grow, it distributes that purchasing power to the people instead of centralizing it in the governments. It actually creates the, uh, a more powerful and content people uh, at the expense of the government. So you love to see it, right? Unless you're unless you're a big banker, unless you're a politician, unless you're a, um, a central banker, um, uh, you, you you love to see what's happening with Bitcoin and love to see the distribution of purchasing power throughout the world. So I'm here for it. I think it's going to be an exciting couple of decades. Is 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 the bull crab like uh, uh, what's going on, Doc? Just bull crabbing, man. Um, Hey, I'll tell you. By the way, I've I've been harping on this. You know, my theory has been for you know since 2021 that the 2021 bull market was an anomaly, meaning it was too low. Um, I think based if you look at kind of power law growth and and prior um, bull markets, I know we have a very limited sample, but I still maintain that 2021, we should have seen a high in the Bitcoin price of around 125K. I truly believe that the um, China banning uh, its miners and dropping the network hash rate by 50% in in a matter of about a month was a true exogenous kind of black swan event that just hammered uh, the Bitcoin network. Obviously, it didn't hurt the capacity or uh, ability of the network to function. Um, but that was a true hit that I think rocked the price and it. And it, 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 um, it basically shortchanged the bull market of 2021. And I think lots of people are getting fooled by that and thinking that, oh, it's diminishing returns. We're going to see, you know, maybe we'll get to 100K, uh, whatever. Um, I, I think that that was an anomaly. And I think that um, what we're seeing now, the fact that the, the price of Bitcoin um, is is sitting at you know fifty seven k right around fifty seven thousand right now. Um, it is much more in line with that theory. Why do I say that? Because um, you can look at past cycles, and after the high, we usually see at the having the price of Bitcoin gets to about fifty to sixty percent of the prior um, all time high at the at the next having. Hopefully, this makes sense. If we presume that the having should have been 125k back in the fourth quarter of 2021, then we should see a Bitcoin price of about 62.5 to 75,000. That's in the 50-60, excuse me, 50 to 60% range of the previous high of 125,000, which it should have been. Hopefully, that makes sense. So, so this to me is confirmation. If we see the Bitcoin price. Um, on april twentieth on around that time of between like sixty two five and seventy five thousand That would, for me, confirm my belief that the last cycle was cut short uh, and that we're going to go much higher. I still hold my target of I think we're getting, uh, you know, we're going to get to 475K uh, by the fourth quarter of 2025, and that may prove to be conservative as well. So I love to be wrong if I'm wrong on the conservative side with Bitcoin price, right? I was wrong uh, in 2021 because I was overly bullish. And I think, in the ways that most people were wrong in being too bullish because it was cut short in the last bull market, I think people are going to be wrong to the downside. And that Bitcoin is going to surprise to the upside this cycle. So um, just my two sats. I'm excited for what's coming. We've been waiting a long time for this.
6: Felt like the crab morphed into a bull as you were speaking there. That that's what came crab. across to me. <laughs> um, I'm
8: still just a bull crab, brother. I still think. <laughs> by the way, I, I still think it's not even like all that crazy. Like I still don't think the bull market has even started. This is just still the pre pre game warm up. I still think we're going to ramp ramp up into having, and then we're going to have a couple months of disappointment after. It's going to be another buy the room rumor sell the news type event. And then I said, I and I I said this. I think the bull market starts on Michael. J. Jackson's birthday. And then I think things get really exciting uh, heading into the fourth quarter of 2024 and into 2025. So buckle up for that. I will be full on Dr. Bull at that point.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I, think um, this idea that the China mining ban sort of cut the last cycle short, I think there's something to it. I mean, if you think about what would have happened it's probably I mean it's likely to say that a lot of the Chinese miners were extremely bullish on Bitcoin and they'd been you know mining in China for years and years and years and people know there's still some hash rate there operating in China but if you think about what would have happened they would have had to sell some coins to move their stack right or to move the mining rigs and that could have happened precisely at the the you know the heat of the cycle and so if it was absent that intervention by the Chinese government Who knows? Yeah, I think it could well have gone above 100k. And so that might have caused a lot of people to have this concept of diminishing returns in the cycles. And, you know, I don't think it's going to be that way. Like, I think we are just so early in the overall adoption that, uh, you know, it's unlikely we're going to have that diminishing return so soon. uh, Because there are just so few, if you really just look out at the world and think how many people actually could explain Bitcoin or have a serious amount of their net worth in Bitcoin, it's tiny. It is so tiny. It is so, so early. And there are so so few people who actually will pay with Bitcoin for day-to-day goods and services. Right. Of course, circular economies are great and they exist, but they are small compared to the overall number of hodlers. And so if you think about things like hodl waves, think how many coin how few coins have moved since you know a year or so. It's probably like 70 or 80%. If you look at those numbers, it's the number of people who are really storing a serious amount of their net worth in Bitcoin or even living the Bitcoin standard in terms of earning and spending Bitcoin, it's a tiny infinitesimal fraction compared to what it could be in the future. So I I do anticipate sort of a bigger cycle this time than last. Um, Of course, it's always possible that there's some government intervention that comes at the crucial point of the cycle again, like let's say some big event happens, uh, there's some big government crackdown uh, at 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 a similar point next year, let's say. Of course, it's always possible, but I just don't think it's that likely. I think what's more likely is more and more people start stacking sats. There'll be more and more people who do all the crazy excess, excessive things. Whether that's leverage, like they did last cycle, we'll see all the same. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. But uh, you know, I just think this cycle will be not a diminishing one.
5: I'll
2: just, I'll
6: say I think it's a very interesting theory that. 2021 was basically a, a tame bull cycle, um, like Dr. Jeff was throwing out and Stefan was, was adding his thoughts to. If that is the case, I think that'll be fascinating to look back on, just given what was happening. Because think back to 2020 and 2021, we got the biggest monetary bazooka, monetized deficits, the Fed buying a trillion dollars worth of assets in three weeks, $3 trillion worth of assets in three months, zero interest rates for, you know, a couple of years, Uh, the meme stocks, like the list goes on and on. It'll be crazy if we look back in history of Bitcoin cycles and we say, yeah, all that was going on. And that was actually one of the more tame bull markets. Um, (laughs) That will be, you know, really crazy to explain. I I think it's possible, though. Um, And even if this cycle ends up being, you know, more of a an aggressive bull market. It'll it'll be crazy to look back at 2021 and say, "Wow, it wasn't as crazy back then."
2: I think part of it, uh, you know, part of it, the blame goes to the likes of FTX and so on. Like the like, people thought they were buying coins, but they weren't. And so, I think that angle, you can't. It's hard to underestimate that, right? Like, think, yes, absolutely, there was massive government stimulus. There was, you know, money printing galore. There was all, you know, all these crazy reasons for why there would be a lot of segments of society just going crazy with their spending because remember some people were winning as other people were losing right if you were a quote-unquote uh non-essential worker you were just shut down you weren't able to work but then on the other hand if you were a beneficiary of this system if you were the cantillionaire and you were getting paid let's say you were you know selling uh masks or something uh, or you were in an industry where you are benefiting disproportionately, you had all this extra money. You could go speculate on this, that, and the other. You could speculate on random meme stocks or you could speculate on Bitcoin or other things and or on shitcoins, of course. And so that dynamic, hopefully, will, at least it'll be a little bit better this cycle, uh, this coming cycle, because people will sort of learn more about, hey, not your keys, not your coins. You know, th- the infrastructure is better. Like, obviously, companies like us, like Swan, are, you know, growing and more people who are learning about bitcoin are going to learn about it from us from you know welcome to bitcoin right swan.com slash welcome they're going to learn from places like that um of course there'll be the excesses but there'll be more people who are sort of stacking into their own self-custody right and that that will just be increased pressure against any fractional reserve operators such as ftx and so i think the fractional reservers will just continue of course there'll be people who try There'll be people who try to do fractional reserve, but they'll just continually get wrecked because more and more people are learning, hey, I need to withdraw to self-custody. So I think that'll be a really interesting dynamic to watch over the next year or two. Yeah, another thing on
3: Dr. Jeff's 21 uh, anomaly theory is, and I think about this a lot, you know, in that time period. The, the, the top five to 10 mainstream media outlets, you know, no one can prove with certainty, but had the green light for any negative Bitcoin coverage you can imagine. And we saw that, especially with the coverage of FTX, right? When there's massive frauds and, and scandals that have been far less covered than that. Now you have the uh, overhead owners of mainstream media now own Bitcoin, and so uh, it's a, it's a whole different ball game and um, you know, it's just going to be interesting, you know, like, like Stefan mentioned um, you know, if you had a black swan event, I, I'd be really interested to see um, how media coverage may be different than, than previous cycles.
2: One thing that could be interesting as well is even if there are, let's say quote unquote elite or high level people who are, high in the government or high in the private sector, let's say, with sort of connections in, the question will be, will they advocate for Bitcoin to be an open and free thing? Or will it be more like a Bitcoin for me, but not for thee, <laughs> right? That could also be another angle, right? We've seen that in different countries. Um, probably a good example I could raise is even with Ukraine, right? So, Ukraine was... Uh, asking for bitcoin donations but at the same time banning local people from buying bitcoin with their local currency right so that's kind of like a Bitcoin for me but not for the scenario and maybe we see that in other countries right so they you know everyone will want bitcoin whether you're in the government or not and it's just going to be a, a dynamic of who supports freedom who actually wants you know bitcoin in the reason or for the reason of making the world more free and a better place and who who is out here just to let's say, selfishly take Bitcoin from themselves and stop other people from having access to it.
0: Absolutely. That blew my mind when that happened. When when, uh, they're asking for Bitcoin donations but preventing people from, uh, citizens from using it or holding it. Wild.
2: And I think, you know, we're going to see a lot more, you know, here's the other aspect. If we're sort of zooming out, talking macro and understanding what's going on around the world, so many of these countries' governments are in massive debt they have pensions that are not funded, especially in the U.S. They've got this, you know, this output gap. Or what's it called? The fiscal gap. And basically, they've unfortunately there's a big generational battle as well because people are a lot of older people. You know, again, it's hard to. I'm not pointing the finger, but you have to sort of generalize a bit. But there are older people who have this mindset of, "Oh, hey, I paid into this pension system. I should be able to withdraw out of it." But they don't understand that the amount they paid in is nowhere near what they're going to be drawing out and there is no money there. It's not, there's not like, it wasn't held there for them that, you know, the only money now is coming out of younger generations. And so there's uh, this generational uh, injustice in a way because younger people are sort of shut out of the housing market. They're shut out in so many ways uh, and so it's gonna, there's going to be a lot of genuine questions raised around the justice of the system that you know, they're going to pay into the, into the welfare Ponzi, but they will not be able to benefit from the welfare Ponzi when time comes for them to retire. And so that's going to be a really brutal conversation in many countries, not just in America. You know, we're seeing that all around. Um, so yeah, I'm curious if anyone else has something to add on that point.
3: I don't think we have enough time to 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 fire off on that cuz that's my love language right there. <laughs> the
6: the pensions being underfunded, that's specifically your love language, Tom, right?
3: Dude, I tweeted out, you know, uh, you know, not to go too far out, but 20 2050, the the WEF says there's going to be 400 trillion in pension debt. That coincides with Biden's ARPA funds that uh, basically kick like 80 billion to distressed pensions and they put a date on of 2050, of when this support will hopefully carry those two. The state of Illinois, their top five pensions are funded at 44 cents on the dollar, and they're in the same state as strike headquarters. All they need to do is go next door and, and talk to Jack or someone there. Um, you know, we're seeing in the UK, they're talking about pushing the age back to 70. The average age in the U.S. over the last 20 years has gone up by almost 10 years. So it's 100 percent, like Stefan was saying, like paying into this system. And of course, everyone assumes that because the laws support um, and rightfully so that if you agree to someone before their career that you have to commit to the pension paid, that's all dependent on the system being functional and intact. I mean, we know bailouts are the norm now and pensions actually are getting bailed out on the front end, not even the back end. But at some point, if there's massive widespread problems, right, everything kind of goes out of the window. So and not to mention the slow burn where, you know, you might get pushed to retire later than you thought and you may get less of a of a of a you know retirement than you intended on.
2: Yeah, I'll give an example. Even in Australia. So Obviously, not as relevant for everybody, but in Australia, there, the debate there now is because they had so much immigration, but not enough housing supply being built. The rental uh, market is actually crazy in Australia right now. So a lot of people are kind of locked out. There are people. There's stories of families who are living out of tents because they can't access housing, and because the leaders are kind of. And uh, very selfishly, they have their own mortgage um, or sort of property portfolios, right? Like the Prime Minister Albo or Albanese has like, I don't know, a property portfolio of, I don't know, four or five properties. And so, you know, and there's this really perverse system where the federal government gets to sort of benefit by importing lots of people. But they can sort of push the cost down to the state governments in terms of the infrastructure costs of housing, hospitals and education and all these other things. So there's kind of a a, a malincentive or a misincentive there. So it's going to really cause a lot of issues all around. Like in, in some ways, there's just been so much. Change, right? At a social and cultural level, um, even at a health level, people are living longer. So the pension system is expected to support them for longer. Then, and the birth rates are going down. So people, can't, people aren't having as many children. But then they need immigration to sort of keep the economy going. So they're bringing in all this immigration, but that's causing all these other social issues. And so you have this kind of generational battle. And what you have is this kind of uh, property landlord class. And they get certain tax benefits. And so in Australia, they call it negative gearing. And so basically, it just relates to the tax you know, incentives that you can get by having lots of properties and be paying the interest on the loans for those properties so that you don't have to actually pay that much tax. While Meanwhile, so you have these kind of older um, population who got to ride the property Ponzi up, and they're sitting on a bunch of properties. And they're sort of sitting pretty, and then you have these younger people who are sort of struggling with a bigger tax burden because they're paying a lot of tax. And so there's a lot of argumentation going back and forth about what is the right path forward there, uh, and what is the generational sort of agreement, and what is the right way forward? Because you know they're saying, well, you want us to just keep working and paying all these taxes and sort of keep the keep the lights on and keep the keep the wheels turning, but at the same time, you're expecting us to just keep paying into the system. And so it's a really uh, unjust system and it's happening all around the world. And, you know, we'll see what happens to it. I think obviously Bitcoin is going to be an important part of the answer. Um, People need to start thinking in terms of Bitcoin. And this is another little hobby horse issue, but I think it's going to become more and more important. If you look at the typical finance influencers, right, so many of them have this misincentive to just promote random bullshit and get paid on their ads um, because they're just promoting eyeballs, right? They, sorry, put it this way. they want to get eyeballs. so they just you have these mainstream financial influencers who just promote random bullshit onto people, and many of these people were having sponsorship from FTX in the last cycle, and so they're just kind of sending the you know the the lambs to the slaughter, and they are telling people, "Oh, yeah, just buy the index and you'll be all right. Meanwhile, they're not looking at actual inflation and thinking about things in Bitcoin terms. And that is going to be really so important to think about in the next cycle.
0: Brandon, welcome to the stage. I see you've had your hand raised up, very uh, respectfully for a few minutes. Yeah. What are your that thoughts? A
7: great, great conversation here. Um, it just makes me uh, so many, You know, everyone has said such insightful things. It just makes me think of some of the the geopolitical tailwinds that support, you know, this thesis. And Stefan just kind of touched on a little bit, Dr. Jeff, with some of the numbers, you know, Dom with the pensions, and you kind of just go down the list here, but it's, you know, and Jamie Diamond earlier, and just a trap by world, you know, guys saying things like that, or, or gals, Lagarde, you know, Peter Zehan. You know, just showing the ignorance, uh, supporting this price, and what and what's going to happen, and how how early we are, and that's just what makes me think of the the ignorance it shows from some of these people, or showing who has their hand in the cookie jar, and that that as each day goes along will become less and less reasonable to have that position. You will not continue to be able to say what Jamie Dimon says going forward, or what Zihan goes on Joe Rogan and says. I mean, it will become so laughable you'll just get laughed out of the room. So they're forced to change. And in for all the ills of social media, it's it's so so many positives that come from it because we get to see things like that. We get to see the I was just reading this morning the, the CIA had you know apparently New York Times said it, so it's you know could <laughs> take it for what it is. But having you know waging shadow wars in Ukraine, things we we kind of know, but like leaking these bombshell reports, and that gets defunded. You know, Bitcoin starts defunding all this, and hence why this ruling class. Is so hell bent on keeping it like that. This is how this is the money laundering 101. This is the omnibus bills. These are all you go through the line items and it says, you know, we're we're doing transgender cow fart studies or whatever. And that basically should just say, aka we're paying off this politician or whatever. You know, like someone should go through. I know, like whoever, you know, people in this space do these great, you know, exposés on like really translating what it is. You should be doing that with omnibus bills. Like, what does this really mean? Like, what does this actually say? And I think social media allows us to see the protests around the world, allows us to see what's going on uh, in wars now we couldn't see before, or Bukele, what's happening in El Salvador. It allows us to see the good things, but also the bad, like Lagarde or Warren or Diamond saying things like this and looking like fools. And it allows us to congregate, you know, strengthen numbers. Courage is contagious. And that's what we're doing here, growing that community. And it's day by day, people are growing more confident. You can see it all over the place. And I know we're somewhat in an echo chamber to a degree. And we all are, we're humans, we all have our, our different uh, biases. Uh, but because of this, we are growing more confident in standing against these centralized forces to decentralize more. And people are realizing they don't need government to run their lives. And we, we've been this frog in the boiling pot for 100 years, really, 110 years, we'll say at least since the Federal Reserve, we'll just call it that for now. And now people are starting to realize we don't need inflation in our lives, we don't need daddy government running our lives. And I think that's the thing that supports. Everything, everyone has just said, taking this all in, the price predictions, everything. And it, like like Dr. Jeff said, I mean, it's kind of conservative in a way. And maybe the price doesn't hit in a year from now, but it definitely will in five or 10 years. You know, like everything, yeah, it's going to keep collapsing into Bitcoin. And all of these things, you look around, you turn on the you know social media or the news or whatever it is, and you see everything around you collapsing, and it collapses right into that Bitcoin black hole.
0: Love it. Lisa, welcome to the stage. It's good to see you. How you doing?
9: Hey guys, oh, I just dropped in for a second. Yeah, doing really well. Uh, just started my packing for my uh, flight to Madeira today. I need to leave for the airport in like two hours. Not, not Lisa, ready?
3: Yes, Lisa. You can't underpack and then wear Ella's clothes because she did the due diligence <laughs> to pack correctly. Like, I mean, I know you can get away with it and pull we it off, that. but like, you just can't, you know? Oh,
9: I I know, I know. I know.
0: Don't listen to these guys. You do whatever you want, Lisa.
9: The problem is, honestly, and I'm sure you guys want to talk about wardrobe, but when it's 66 degrees, is that warm or is that cold? Like I could go jeans and a light sweater or I could go sundress and like maybe a scarf. See, <laughs> I do not have these problems.
0: These are the important topics. Let's get into it.
3: I can <laughs> see I can see Lisa trying to buy, borrow Ella's favorite shirt and she's like, "Mom, you can't borrow this." <laughs> and she's like, Hey, Ella, how'd you get here? And she's like, to Madeira, I flew. And she's like, no, no, the world. How'd you get to the world? I'm just curious. Oh, that's right. So give me the shirt.
9: I brought you into
0: this world. I can take you out.
9: No, Dom. You know, the funny thing is um, we have all the same clothes. I mean, we wear the same brand, like just Gap black sweater, you know, same brand of blue jeans. Like we buy all the same clothes. So that doesn't really, I love it. anyway I, love uh, it. I don't know if uh well anyway yeah it's going to be great. can't <laughs> wait to get there cannot wait to oh. get there and it's love uh it. and it's happy that everybody is so happy in in Bitcoin. I don't know why y'all are, but um fifty seven thousand i mean doesn't seem uh doesn't seem right that it's only fifty seven thousand
1: Lisa, I saw that you were divesting recently of some more of your fiat assets. Is that true?
9: I put my house on the market last Thursday. I did. I paid my property tax at the end of January. And then I got on my, I had had to like verify that I had an escrowed for property tax, which I had not. But when I was online looking at my mortgage account, I realized, wow, I have a little bit of equity in my house and I really could move next door into a very nice, um, rental type apartment. I live in a high rise anyway. Um, and I live in a great area. I love my area, but I was like, God, I have, I have some equity in this place. And I'd really, it matters not to me, right? Like truly matters not. I'd, I'd actually sell my place furnished. Um, I want to buy more Bitcoin.
0: That's the way to be. I love it. Yeah. Well, my friends, we are coming up on the end of our show. I want to give, I want to thank everyone who's joined. We've had an incredible group today Stefan, Dr. Jeff, Lisa, uh, John Har, but other people jump in, Terrence with one R, Dom, of course, Chris, Jacob, other people who I'm forgetting. Neil was here for a minute. Um, I want to thank all of you, it means a ton. I want to give everybody an opportunity to say kind of one more thing about Bitcoin, where their heads at. Give people some advice, and then we'll uh, we'll close things up. Let's start with uh with Stefan. You want to give us some knowledge?
2: Sure. Yeah. Look, I think we are pre the you know the real bull cycle. We're kind of warming up for the bull cycle. Uh, what I would say is keep your head, like be prudent, live within your means, stacks out. Don't you know, don't take uh, uh crazy like leverage and get wrecked. Just be prudent stack and hodl in your own, you know, in your own self-custody. And I think, uh, you know, because what's going to happen over the next year or two is people are going to start losing their minds. So your, your challenge is to not lose your mind and, uh, stay sane, stay safe out there, everybody stack sats and hodl.
0: Let's go. Dr. Jeff, what you got for us?
8: I love what Stefan just said. It's that most people who haven't been around don't understand how hard it is to stay sane and stay reasonable during a bull market, right? We've Most people have only been through the bear market and the crab market it gets crazy and there are going to be crazy days. And when you see uh, candles going up $10,000 in one day, um, you're going to start freaking out. Uh, So I, you know, as always, I just say it it kind of, it's a play on uh, Odell's, you know, stay humble, stack sets. I like to say, you know, uh, head down, work hard, keep building and stack sats and just, just keep doing that. And if you keep doing that, Faithfully for, uh, you know, hopefully like 10 years or so, Bitcoin will absolutely take care of you because the price takes care of itself. Your life will get cheaper and cheaper and you'll be more and more content and you'll start building things to last and start thinking about generational um, concepts versus, you know, uh, stuff, you know, this crap that that people build currently that breaks in a day right? Uh, you know, this short-term high time preference thinking, uh, slowly fades away and your life gets uh, better and better. So just, just keep doing what you're doing and it's going to be a fun couple of years. Keep building.
0: Love it. Lisa, what you got for us?
9: What Dr. Jeff said.
0: Succinct, concise, to the point. (laughs) I love it. Terrence with one R. I work. think
1: it's good it, and it's great for us in these spaces. You know, us Bitcoiners are always trying to to connect how we can and, it, and you know, we can take some victory laps and we can get excited within each other. But I do believe that out in Normie land, we should curb our enthusiasm a little bit in that none of this is a surprise. Bitcoin is doing what we know it will do. It's, it, it's math. We know that the fiat world is going to get repriced in Bitcoin, you know, as Dr. Jeff was just talking about. So – You know, we know that this. We know where Bitcoin's going. We know what it's doing. We we see what's happening with the economy, with the money printer, with what the central banks are doing. So yeah, keep our heads on straight. Keep teaching first principles, self custody, and be prudent.
0: Well said. Well said, Dom. You got anything for us?
3: Yeah, everyone have a safe trip to Madeira. I'll be in. uh... Sunny Columbus, Ohio. Uh, powwowing with the Columbus uh, crew out there, Bitcoin community. And just remember, don't confuse the Bitcoin you can afford to buy with the Bitcoin you can't afford not to buy. You sit on that. You think on that.
0: All right, Chris, hit us with it.
4: Yeah, I'll uh, kind of echo what what many people have been saying. Kind of Odell's line: Stay humble, stack sets. Uh, I'd also caveat, you know, as we're potentially heading into a bull market, uh, check your setups, make sure that uh, whatever Bitcoin you do have currently, imagining it 10 xing in value in fiat terms, at least in USD denominated value. So check your setup, make sure that you're prepared for if it 10x is in value, that you're not panicking, you're not selling, you're not doing something that uh, compromises your security or anything. Um, So yeah, just stay humble, stack sats and check your setup.
0: Love it. Jacob, what you got for us?
8: Tonight, 10.30 p.m. Eastern, welcome to Bitcoin. Stefan Levera and Brady will be taking your Bitcoin
5: questions. So um, if anybody DMs you today and is like bothering you about Bitcoin, send them that way or come yourself and ask some technical stuff or Bitcoin beginner questions, whatever you like. But um, 10.30 tonight, welcome to Bitcoin.
0: Love it. John, rounding us out, what you got for the masses?
6: What an honor. What an honor. Um, as usual, when we have these conversations, it sparks something that I want to look into further. So uh, I was uh, just starting to do this as we rounded out here, um, looking into the annual returns of an Apple or a Microsoft, um, and just kind of showing how ridiculous they are, really, over the last like 25 years. Ballpark, we're talking like 20, 25 percent per year returns for those companies. So. I think I'm going to turn that into a post on LinkedIn. Um, That's where I have more reach to get my former TradFi coworkers. So, uh, thank you guys for for sparking that one. Um, Just kind of you know get uh, delivering the message that hey, you know you probably thought you missed Microsoft in 2003, but you know clearly you did not. And and this is the lens you should be looking at Bitcoin with. Um, So great conversation. Thanks everybody.
0: Absolutely, and I want to remind everyone that we at Swan put out content every day. Uh, Really, really great stuff. Check out our YouTube channel. That's Swan Bitcoin. Follow us here on Twitter. And if you do not already have tickets for the conference that we put on Pacific Bitcoin, get your tickets now. It is my favorite conference. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, Everyone on stage will be there. It's going to be a great time. And uh, I'll leave you with a saying that uh, I believe comes from Romania, which is, there are two wolves inside of you. And both of them own Bitcoin. On that note, we'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same place.